Hello and welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. Uh, I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I am here with Martin, Mr. Adventure Willis. That's right. That's right. Uh, It said you were out canoeing and you had kind of a harrowing experience, and so that's why I called you Mr. Adventure, because you've been getting a lot of outdoors lately, it seems like. I have, yes. Uh, lost one iPhone in, uh, in the <laughs> river, and yeah, I have been doing quite a bit. So it's summer in New England. We have to celebrate summer. It's so short here. Let's get into the news and to UFOs and stuff like that. So we have a great guest today. Our guest is Sean Cahill. So he was one of the Nimitz uh, Encounter Witnesses. And we'll talk about mm. uh, at what capacity and what uh, he experienced. And then he turned into uh, kind of, I think this wasn't so planned. They just liked him and they had him uh, join them because of his experience. He turned out to be one of the cast members on Unidentified. Uh, if you remember, you know, they interviewed him and then they took him along to do their uh, investigation of Guadalupe Island. So really cool guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a lot of fun to talk to him, and, and it turned out to be a great interview. Been wanting to talk to him for quite some time uh, because he just seems like a, a neat person. He's written a couple of media medium articles about UFOs and his views and stuff like that. And sure enough, you know, we hit it off. He's a really neat guy. So uh, I'm really excited to talk with him some more and do some more interviews and stuff like that because we really touched on only a fraction of what I wanted to talk to him about. And uh, you'll hear that mm. in the interview. But uh, yeah, very exciting to talk to him. It was it was a lot of fun. I bet. Yeah. It's that that, that case, it just seems, you know, it. it I think it's going to go down as one of the the biggest cases, you know, yeah. people always talk about, well, there's nothing new has happened since, you know, whenever Rendlesham Forest or whatever. But uh, I think, uh, you know, this is going to go down as one of the, the big cases with because of the quality of the witnesses, for one, and, you know, what they experienced. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think it's it and it's also had such a huge influence on the Navy. Uh the Roosevelt mm-hmm. case I think also because you know as we know from the show, yeah. I think these are the kind of hallmark moments of that television show of unidentified why it's so important. Now they do get into some historical cases. And um you know, I those when they do that sort of coverage, I don't think it's as interesting, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. The cases that they reveal that they personally worked on, those are much more interesting to me. And I think that's – and they obviously have had a kind of historical uh, effect in getting the Navy to open up about all of this and, and all of these Congress people. In fact, I wrote an article recently. It was in the Roswell uh, – 
daily record last week and uh, on this very topic on all these senators and, and the president even talking about UFOs and it's due to all this stuff. So yeah, really cool. That's and right. th- that's what was fun about Sean is his perspective, kind of some regular down to earth guy and how he came across all of this and his, his uh, perspective on all of the people involved as well. So, like, what was his experience with Lou Elizondo? How did he feel about him, especially as a uh, a Navy guy, you know? Uh, what did he think? And I think that that's really insightful. And uh, kind of like Brian Bender last week, you heard from this third-party mm-hmm. mainstream journalist. He's got no, no uh, dog in this race at all. He doesn't care which way it goes. But, you know, so we get to hear from a, an unbiased third party on, on how they feel about all of this and, you know, how they've vetted it. And uh, I think that goes a long way and is really important. And it's something that you have to consider when you're considering all of this, um, despite all of kind of the noise that goes on out there. So, yeah, great interview. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, for those of you not aware... Uh, and, and I get this question once in a while, you know, Open Mind GFO Radio is journalism, uh, kind of a journalistic based, uh, just like openminds.tv and the, the everything I write. So we're looking at substantiated, credible information. If we're speculating like we do, we'll let you know that. In fact, somebody noted, hey, you say that you're journalistic, but you had these people on talking about aliens a couple of weeks ago. Sure. And that was speculation. And we, we framed it that way. A lot of this is speculative. That was the whole point. Uh, of our conversation. So we'll let you know. Also, we cover the news in this beginning segment. So the interviews start at about 25 minutes in. Uh, so if you want, you can go to the 25 minute mark to start to listen to the interview with Sean Cahill. However, you're going to miss Martin's great news section. And uh, this is where we get into <laughs> the news of the week. So what do you got to start off, buddy? Well, I want to talk about this uh, crazy Area 51 storming thing. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, and CNN is even involved in, you know, posting something basically that the feds warn UFO enthusiasts. And it's, I hate that it has to be framed UFO enthusiasts, but uh, that's the way it is framed against storming Area 51. And the military is ready. And it all started out as a Facebook joke. But you know what? Facebook. And social media is very, very powerful, and it just shows you what can happen. You know, there's been uh, a million people have signed up. It, a it's million? a joke event. A million. And it's a joke event, but um, I think that, you know, something is going to happen. There are going to be people that are going to take this serious. I know they're right, are, and they're going to show up there. And the outcome is just not going to be good. It can't be good. It can't end well. And it can't make, in my opinion, it can't make anything go forward. It's just going to make things go backwards. And, uh, you you know, starting out as a joke, uh, but I really do believe when you get a million people signing up on something that they're going to attend, that there's going to be a percentage of people that are going to take this as 100% serious and they're going to show up that's my belief on it mm-hmm. i think it's going to be a problem and yeah. uh, you know because I, I don't think a lot of people realize that you know they can actually shoot you if you go on area 51 you know um and it's so well protected 
And, you know, if the military's going to have to be ready, then, you know, who knows what, what could happen. There could be some bloodshed is what I'm getting at. This is not funny, really, anymore. I don't know about bloodshed. It's possible. But uh, it, it, the signs no longer say they can use deadly force. They used to say that, though, out there. Uh, now mm. they just say that you'll get fined. Um, and oh, that's is what's that ha- right? I mm. wasn't aware of that change. Yeah. Mm. So let's see where it's at. You're right, at a million, over a million going. And another reason that's so shocking is I wrote a story this weekend that's probably going to appear on the Roswell Daily Record, uh, hopefully today or tomorrow, and then I'll also post it on my blog on now list. But essentially it was, what happens if you go on to Area 51? And uh, I've written several stories about people who have tried, or actually I think all of them, well, all of them except for one accidentally went past the gate. The other was a BBC film crew that didn't accidentally, they were pushing their luck, and they regretted it wow. 100% for doing mm. it. Because what happens is typically the guards will come, shove your face in the dirt, keep you on the ground, face to the dirt until the Lincoln County Sheriff's Department can get some deputies out there to arrest you. Uh, Then you are either arrested, you're arrested and or fined um, and sent on your way as long as, you know, it's something innocent. If it's not innocent, like your intention is to go there and, you know, it may be more harsh um, so who knows? Maybe these people could face jail time. The BBC people, they they got somewhat lucky. They got their their cameras confiscated, and some of their video was not returned. Oh, but uh, that was expensive. They said they had to sit with their faces in the dirt for hours. The Lincoln County Sheriff wow. said no. It was ha- it was maybe forty five minutes. Still, that's no fun. Forty five minutes in the <laughs> desert. And they said, you "What know, are the fines? Do you know what the fines yeah, range?" The fine is uh, has been generally six hundred dollars. Yeah. See, so some people may still think that's kind of a medium cool range. Say they did it. Yeah, yeah, but the the worst, you know, there's so the BBC, those guys all got fine. Uh, they essentially crossed the gate. They didn't see anybody in the gate guard station that was there. So they thought they were okay. They kind of went further and further and further, filming and messing around. Uh, finally, uh, one of the guys, supposedly, their story is, knocked on the guard station. And sure enough, it was full of guards who came out with guns. Uh, the Lincoln <laughs> County Sheriff said that actually the guards were keeping an eye on him the whole time. And as long yeah. as they didn't go too far, they were going to leave them alone. But they ended up, they kept wow. going too far. So they came out and, and busted them. So they got fined. At, you know, there's another guy who was a tour bus guy who accident, accidentally, he was blabbing, just talking with his tourists, you know, having a good time. And he accidentally crossed the line. And you could see he was freaked out. He's like, oh, my gosh. So they were all arrested, even the poor tourists. A couple of them were from the U.K. And uh, they were all let go. And fortunately for them, you know, the tourist uh, company kept saying, please don't find the tourists. It was our fault. Um, so the tourist didn't get fined, but the driver did. And the driver was banned from doing those tours for two years. Which was his wow. livelihood, so that was that's no right good for him. Yeah, I remember that. But that's so essentially what they to... do. I called the Lincoln yeah. County Sheriff's Department, and they said no comment. They said we're aware 
that this supposed thing is going is, is being planned, but uh, we have no comment. But of course, what many are talking about is the Air Force. The Washington Post got a hold of the Air Force, and the Air Force said, uh, essentially, don't do it. We'll be ready, and people will get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, I understand that it could be just a rest, but, you know, I mean, they're posting on the Facebook page that they're going to find out if there's aliens. So it sounds like more than just crossing the line and storming the line. It sounds like they're going to try to get to buildings. And, I, you know, of course, they won't be able to, I don't think. But, you know, you talk a large group of people would be very hard to contain. Um, but, but uh, well, uh, it's it just... They, I don't think they realize the gate, the area where you cannot pass is miles from the base. You have a mm. long way to go. That's right. To yes. still get to the base. There's a lot of desert to cover. And yeah. so there's a great opportunity for people to, um, you know, for you to get captured. Um, Spend time in the dirt. Yeah. yeah. And now that a million people have joined, I think you're right. It was a joke. I mean, the description says we will all meet up at the Area 51 Alien Center tourist attraction and coordinate our entry. If we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets. Let's see them aliens. So it's kind of, you know, they're being super silly. Um, But uh, no doubt out of these million people, and you do see some of them taking it very seriously, George Knapp and Nick Pope, uh, others have posted, hey, this is a really stupid idea, guys. And a lot of mm. twi- Twitter people have responded saying, oh, no, it's not. You're just trying to be part of the cover-up, blah, blah, blah. So some of these people obviously <laughs> are taking it pretty dang seriously. Yeah. Um. So I think you're right. I think, I think there's going to be people that are going to show up. And I think there's going to be people like me who... Uh, I'm really tempted to go myself, not to cross the line, but to kind of maybe interview people and, and shoot some video and take some pictures and see what happens. Wow. It may just yeah. turn I'll- into a big party, and that might be more appropriate, is that, you know, a big party outside the gates, like <laughs> like Burning Man or something. Uh, Bryce Zabel, a good friend of ours, had suggested that, uh, you know, maybe they just have a party there. And that's not a bad idea. In fact, Jeremy... Corbell, who we've had on the show, said, hey, don't cross the line, but maybe we can have a party or a protest or something. What are some other ideas that you guys have out there? Something we can do other than crossing the line, which might be a good way to kind of uh, de-escalate things. And hopefully, you know, he's successful in that. But uh, yeah, I get you. Then it'll be a yearly event. Yeah. (laughs) Terrible idea. George even said, you know, he, he, of course, George Knapp is is a KLAS uh, Las Vegas uh, journalist who made area one area 51 famous by covering the bob lazar story and continuing to cover it he believes bob lazar and uh so in turn he believes you know at the base s4 just south of area 51 that uh, bob lazar worked on back engineered alien technology i'm not so sure but either way he says there's no alien technology there if there ever was it's been moved away and it's not there anymore uh, especially since the base has become famous. So mm. he may be right. Uh, so at the best, let's say they ever had some, it probably wouldn't be there anymore. But most likely, I don't think they ever had some in the first place, personally. Yeah, so, I'm with you on that. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a fruitless effort that nothing will get found. Some people run around in the desert until they get arrested and hogtied and, and hauled off is probably what's going to happen. And Hopefully they yeah. don't hurt themselves. The only dangerous situation is if anybody brings guns. 
And oh, if yes. people bring guns, mm. then they could see there would be That's possible bloodshed. So hopefully oh, yeah. that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see how this thing plays out. I guess it's supposed to happen, what is it, September 20th or something like that? Yeah, so that's a few months yeah. away. And already a million followers just because of the news. Yeah. So when I was writing my story, it was, it had, it was at 690-something. And then it went over 700. And that was just like two days ago. And now it's already at a million. I'm wondering, you know, if this could be one of these things that Facebook may remove. You never know. That's a good point. Re- you know, they've removed a few, a few things uh, lately. Well, you know what? And, and, and maybe they should because this is essentially, well, you know, the guys, if anything happens, the guys who made this event could get in trouble because it is a conspiracy. Yeah. It's conspiring to commit a mm-hmm. crime. Storming Area 51 yeah. is a crime. And all these people are right. conspiring to do that. Um, I did click interested, and I am among the nearly 100 people or one, 1 million people who said they're interested. I'm interested to see what happens, but I didn't yeah. say going. But you're good. Uh, if Facebook did shut it down, which they probably should uh, because it's an illegal act, uh, you know, they would, they would, I don't think you could make much of an argument that they shouldn't have done that. Yeah. It's a. It's not just freedom of speech. It's a. It's something like you say. They're actually, you know, attempting people to commit a crime. Right. And that could be a, a big problem. A lot it's of liabilities. Not it's not good. People don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Do yeah. it. So, uh, other news out there. So, of course, uh, we just talked. Uh, the big news is this Area Fifty One thing, of course, and it is huge news. Um, other news out there, uh, Washington gave the world flying saucers and men in black. So this is a, a article about Washington, the state, and they do have some good points just because the Kenneth Arnold case in 1947 was the case mm-hmm. where the term flying saucer was coined. And there were some men in black experiences supposedly in the Washington area that kind of made that whole thing famous. So, so that's an interesting mm-hmm. story. Uh, what do you? What are um, your thoughts about Men in Black? Have you interviewed uh, Nick? I think I, I've interviewed Nick Redfern on yeah. his book about it. And th- I, I did you too. Have too. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I don't know. You know, there's so many people. You know, I, I sometimes I think it's just pop culture type of influence, and you know, but so many people have reported, um, you know, seeing these. You know, they talk about the cars and you know the vintage cars and the whole thing and. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it's another thing to be on the fence about totally. I mean, or or maybe even not believe it. I don't know. I really don't know mm-hmm. uh, what to say. You know, as far as trying to stay credible on this show and talk about credible news, I really don't know what to say about Men in Black, whether they're real or not. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, it could be legends based off of, uh, you know, government people who were looking into ufos but trying to be incognito about it uh but uh yeah that's kind of a weird one and i don't i don't know and of course some people and a lot of people believe these are aliens that are posing as humans trying to get info which it that's right doesn't make a lot of sense that's pretty weird but yeah i just don't know hey what do you think about this uh story of uh the french space force 
This is something, huh? That's in the news. Well, it makes sense. So I've been doing a lot more research into the Space Force. And fortunately, I, uh, you know, have gotten to know Brian Bender from Politico, who I had on the show, of course, last week. And he's yeah, right in the mix of this stuff. He is literally going to this Aspen conference that is all of these bigwigs and everything. Uh, he's going to be moderating a panel with some of the people who ran the Air Force to talk about this subject. And uh, so, and and of course, I've been talking online and and uh, with some others because some of this information has not been shared. So I shared, you know, there was a senator I can't remember which right now who was saying. Uh, in this briefing about the Space Force that there's a lot of scary stuff going on that the American public doesn't know about. And we can't even talk about the real stuff in this public hearing because all of this is classified. We need to unclassify this stuff and let the American people know what we're doing, why we think this stuff is so important. But the overarching message I'm getting doesn't have really anything to do with aliens. And uh, people may disagree, but, you know... Good luck on finding credible information about that. But it's more about satellite killers, that the Russians and the Chinese Mm -hmm. uh, are developing more and more um, satellite killers. And uh, that's more important for the United States because we, more than any other country by far, rely on our satellites, especially our global positioning satellites, our GPS satellites, for a lot of stuff. And we would be oh, yeah. in, and we'd be in trouble if we started losing some of these satellites. Um, that the military has a lot of redundancy with their satellites. So their main concern, though, uh, is the private sector is is those that will affect the economy, and uh, and so that's the mm-hmm. issue. So some yep. people, the debate is the Air Force. We already have a space commander under the Air Force, but the debate is: is the Air Force going to put enough money and uh, attention towards? This issue, which is a big issue, and uh, you know, some in the the government are saying no. We need to create, bring them out as kind of a separate branch under the Air Force, but more of their separate branch, so they can get more attention, more funding, and uh, we can take this issue more seriously. So France, mm-hmm. of course, would be in the same boat. They have satellites that they need to defend. So you know, and in the same boat, how much attention? At this point, uh, you know, do we put into space and defending space and uh, and unfortunately weaponizing space? And apparently France yeah. has decided that it's time they step up their game as well and they create their own space force. So that's what we're looking at here. We're not looking at aliens or, or yeah. we're looking at, you know, defending ourselves in real dangers that militaries have to worry about. You know, it's 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 a thing. It, it's a thing with right across the board. When there's more power uh, or power imbalance, the power either has to, you know, be leveled up, or you know, there's going to or there could be potential issues. And yeah. I guess you know, in in a way, that's how the nuclear power, you know, nuclear warheads work. Is we have enough yeah. to blow you up, so you don't you know don't blow us up. Yeah. Or you, you know, you'll get blown up. So now it's uh, increasing into space, which is it's sad. It's just the way the way it, it is. is. Though I know, yeah. and here we are, militarizing space, militarizing space now. So, 
if there is anything out there watching us, I'm sure they are not impressed. Uh, so right. a couple other stories real quick to touch upon is uh, the scientists searching for alien life aren't very popular in science. A Quartz mm. article, and that is kind of interesting. It's not a popular thing to do, although the search for extraterrestrial intelligence is a pretty popular, at least publicly popular organization. Also, there's a Breakthrough Listen organization, and there's a new article on them in astrobiology.com that was started by a Russian billionaire who's essentially trying to look for aliens on his own. I mean, he's fairly popular, mm -hmm. but he's not a scientist, and that's what they're talking about in the scientific community. Uh, and also along these lines, our good buddy Mike DeMonte, who we had on the show not too long ago, who runs the website Punk Rock and UFOs, has a very interesting article he posted recently, which is NASA engineers weigh in on potential for extraterrestrial life and uh, Tic Tac UFO videos. So that's really interesting. He talks to some NASA mm. engineers about all this. But uh, those are some of the articles in the headlines. Of course, you can see this on the front page of openminds.tv, all of these headlines. But we are pretty much out of time. Right. But thank you very much for joining us with the news again, Mr. Martin. Oh, it's fun as always. You're very welcome. Of course, you can hear Martin on uh, Podcast UFO, but let's go ahead and take a listen to my interview with Sean Cahill. So we'll take a short break. If you're listening on a radio station, you'll hear some commercials. Otherwise, you'll hear a short musical interlude, and then I'll be back with Sean. Stay tuned. I am very excited to welcome to the show Sean Cahill. Hello, Sean. Hello, Alejandro. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Just got uh, kind of a stuffy nose, so if people hear me kind of um, sniffling and stuff like that, it's because, and they probably realize I've had this stuffed nose for a while, so it, it's frustrating, but we'll contend with that. I hope you're feeling better. I hope it clears up. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, for people who don't know, you were on uh, the show Unidentified because uh, of your participation or your involvement with the 2004 Nimitz encounter. And so, I guess to start off, let's start off with uh, what was your role, uh, at what ship you were on, and your role in the Navy in 2004? Sure. Um at the time of the incident in November of 2004, I was serving as the chief master at arms on board the USS Princeton. And that position uh, easily translates out as uh, the head of law enforcement or the sheriff on board the ship. Um, it's a position that goes back to the age of sail, and um, it, it has a great deal of tradition behind it. Um, but the reason that I was involved with the show I, Unidentified wasn't purely due to my position. It was from the fact that I was on the bridge of the USS Princeton as the uh, conning officer and junior officer of the deck during portions of the, uh, the now infamous Tic Tac incident where Senior Chief Kevin Day, um, he, had, he acquired numerous contacts on the Aegis radar system on board the USS Princeton, and he followed that to ground and ended up vectoring uh, jets from the USS Nimitz um, to intercept. And subsequent sorties from the Nimitz were able to um, 
to pick up these these interesting objects on on FLIR video from their their gun cameras, and subsequently after that, you know, we some of us on board the ship in leadership positions had seen the footage, and then the issue dissolved and went away. And I didn't. There's obviously a lot in between there, but I didn't pick uh-huh. back up with it again until um, we, Luis Elizondo basically revealed himself in the ATIP program uh, to the public. Great. And so, yeah, let's break all that down. So when was it uh, that you first heard that they were uh, getting these strange radar uh you know, uh, these objects and, and what was it, how did that, was that described to you? Yeah. The, the, uh, so I have to track backwards from when we saw the, uh, the video, because I know the date of the video, I believe it was, um, uh, now I believe it was November 14th, I think I'm sorry. Now I'm getting confused between the 14th and the 17th, but I know that it was about three days prior to when we received the, uh, the condensed video, that I received a call from Senior Chief Kevin Day. Uh, he was an operations specialist, uh, Senior Chief Petty Officer, and we knew each other quite well. And he called me on the um, what we would call a landline on the ship, just a regular telephone, from the Combat Information Center at his station where he was, up to mine on the bridge. And because we were both Chief Petty Officers, excuse me, Chief Petty Officers, it was a little easier for us to get the get the job done. So he, he was calling me and asking me at times to go out and check for certain air contacts at certain vectors and to steer the ship in certain directions because he had some anomalous contacts and he was trying to run them to ground. Okay. Gotcha. So you were involved then from the get go when he first started catching these things. Yeah, we now at, at first I wasn't sure what Kevin had me had me looking for, and as I recall it, I don't even think I was really sure uh, that it was something that anomalous mm-hmm. until the um, until the video. But I do recall at the time I, I was I was an aerospace nerd and a DARPA nerd back then. I was very interested <laughs> in, in future tech, and I knew that the um, that the scramjet was testing. That it, ha- that it was testing north of us out of one of our bases in the desert out here. And I, I was wondering, I kept asking him if that was something, if that was what we were looking for. I wondered uh-huh. if we were, if we were, if we were going to help recover the, uh, the scramjet or if we were on call for that. So I was interested in it in a higher level than you would expect, but I didn't realize we were looking for something as interesting as it turned out to be. Right. And and that's kind of exciting too, right? I mean, it would be, wow, cool. Mm-hmm. We might be part of this scramjet testing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, we were on a, we were on a boring operation. We were, um, I, I don't, you know, it's probably exciting to many people, but once you <laughs> pretend, once you pretended something enough, it becomes, uh, you look for the least amount of responsibility involved. <laughs> and, and all we had to do up on the bridge was, was stay within a, a box that was probably 15 nautical miles by five or six nautical miles. And so it was a pretty leisurely thing. There was no other traffic. So we were able to have great conversations and still maintain our alertness. So mm-hmm. that, that helped out a lot. So I guess, uh, what was next? What happened? Uh, did, did you kind of look for these things? Uh, did, was it that, you know, uh, 
once you saw the video, you realized something weird was going on, or did Kevin kind of allude well, to, "Hey, these are mysterious"? Before that, it's well, actually, I hadn't. I never had a chance to run into Kevin until um, the morning that the video arrived. I saw him at breakfast with this huge grin on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, we had spoken on the phone during my subsequent watches after the first night uh, that we talked, and then one of the the. I believed that it was the night before the video because that was when I got excited about this was when um, he, he was very vehement about asking me to take seriously looking for these things in the sky because I was getting to a point where um, I, th- I think, I think, you know, a lot of th- things come back recollection comes back. And I think that he was kind of interrupting that good conversation that I was talking about for something that was to me, non mission related. Um, so I think I may have even been poo-pooing it a little bit, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, and so then when he when he he was adamant about asking us to try to put eyeballs on these things, and so I had I was going back and forth to the bridge wings, which are like balconies on the port and starboard side of the ship for observational purposes, and there's gun mounts out there amongst other things. And uh, I was going back and forth to my lookouts, you know, scanning with them. I you know I took. I take Kevin seriously. If he asked me to take this seriously, I will take it seriously. So we, we put all of our effort into it. And that was when I ended up seeing uh, a very interesting pattern of lights that I had, I had never seen before and, and I've never seen since. Um, they approximately 45 degrees off the, the port bow. Um, and I can't judge distance because I have no I have no way to judge how large these objects were. And what time of large. day? It seems like it was late. Uh, at least the show portrayed it as as the night. I think it, it was. I, I believe that it was after 10 p.m. or 2200 uh, at night because I, I'm pretty sure I was on a late watch. I was on the night watch for that whole um, that whole trip, and we had a, a reduced duty section, so we were all standing the same watch every night instead of rotating, and. Um, so, yeah, it was late at night, and it was when I say it was, I say it was cloudless, but there, but it was sparse. There were sparse clouds. There were mm-hmm. just wisps, the smallest wisps of cloud. It was a, it was all but completely cloudless, mm-hmm. and um, the visibility was incredible. I mean, we could see all the way to the island. We could see the lights on the island without haze, um, and so they were very crisp and clear. And they were they were all each about the, I think somewhere. In- the, the largeness or magnitude of um, of Venus and Mars, somewhere in between there. And there were five to seven of them. And whenever I tell the story in person, in fact, I'm doing it right now. Um, <laughs> I hold I, I hold my hand out, my right hand kind of twisted with all my fingers out, and then I twist them counterclockwise, and the five to seven lights that were there. So at first when I saw them, I panned my binoculars across them and I I was for a minute. I thought I was looking at the Pleiades or something like that, but it, but it wasn't in the right spot. It didn't seem right. It wasn't the right shape. And so I panned back to it and I'm looking at it and then it moved. And as it started moving in my binoculars, I actually lowered the binoculars to make sure that I was seeing what I was seeing. And it, it the the phenomenon continued just at a less mag, you know less magnified, and uh, they all rotated it and, and winked out a couple of them together and then the rest of them, and there was nothing else in the sky that could have come in front of them, and 
they had no nav lights. They didn't fit the pattern of anything I'd ever seen before. And I was, I was when I say I was a science nerd or a darker nerd, that, that extended out to astronomy and things like that as well. And the whole main reason that I was up on the bridge was because my department had the navigator had said that it would be good for my fitness reports because there was no reason for me to be up there. So it was a volunteer effort. But beyond that, um, I wanted to learn how to navigate a ship and use the sextant and all of those other things uh, for use later. You know, it was like free training for uh-huh. when I got my sailboat after I retired. And so I was, I was very acquainted with the environment. I've never seen anything like that or since. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's that's not quite true any, uh, quite true now. But um, did you share this with anybody when you had this sighting? So there was a lookout uh, young man. I can't remember which one of the young men in the watch section it was at the time. But uh, he there was a young man out there with me on watch, and I turned to him and with a little saltier language, I said, "Did you see that?" <laughs> and and, uh, <laughs> and he he open mouth. Uh, nodded his head at me and said, yes, chief. And uh, um, I went in and I called Kevin. I told him what I saw. Um, and then we finished out the watch. I talked to the folks on the bridge. I, we chatted about it. But, you know, it was just lights in the sky um, turning in a circle, you know, from from, uh-huh. from my standpoint into almost a swirly or whirlpool pattern. But um, not anything to be completely alarmed about, you know. Right. Um, so... The next morning, though, when I woke up, I uh, after seeing that, I was really interested. I wanted to know what was going on. And when I came out, I saw Kevin, and I saw Kevin's uh, um, uh, compatriot, another uh, radar operator, uh, who's a real gruff guy. And when I when I started saying, "Hey, what's what's going on with this thing?" You know, tell me what the blanks going on. Um, the other fella just, you know, basically in a, in a, in a, in a nice way for, for us, cursed me out and told me to go check my email and um, that he wasn't going to tell me anything until I went and checked for myself. And so I went into the back of the chief's mess and went on onto the, uh, what we call the sipper net. It's a secure network um, where secret or below information can be transmitted. Um, and there was this there was a, a gun camera video that has now become um, infamous as the, what's called the Tic Tac video, um, and it and now we know just in the last couple of days that it was captured by Charles Underwood. Right, right, and I, I'm glad you you know that you know his name. I did, I did know it was revealed. Yeah, so, he came out just like yesterday. And oh, said wow. that was me. So, uh, or maybe the day before. So, yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't use his name. But uh, yeah, now we know. Has he given a direct testimony of the flight yet, or that we're that we no? Can... He he okay. said because a bunch of us, of course, jumped in. This was on Twitter and said, "Hey, tell us more." And he, and he said, "I'm not going to talk any more about it." Uh, thanks for all the responses. He said a Slate wow. article is going to come out where I did an interview with, with Slate, but that's probably the only interview I'll do. So. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Wonderful. I'll have to go back and take a look at that. Um, Oh, boy, that's exciting. Where were we? (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. I wasn't (laughs) sure if you knew that. So I I felt like I dropped a name and see how you'd react. And uh, Twitter swelled up to be more than I could really. That's a full-time job if you're going to be involved in that. (laughs) Yes, Uh, it is. (laughs) That's so funny. But, uh, yeah, so you were at. So that next where you went to the email and you saw the video. Mm -hmm. And I. 
I, I dare say I've seen a thousand gun camera videos before for various things, whether they were ordnance hits or uh, dog fights or, or other things. And I, I was familiar with the displays in general um, from different systems that I've worked with. And so I knew that what I was looking at, I, I understood the context of what I was looking at. So I knew that I was looking at an aircraft and, and, and I understood what was going on in the picture. And it was the most amazing thing that I'd ever seen. I knew immediately mm. that what I was looking at had no control surfaces. And that based on some of the data that I could just see right there on the, on the gun camera footage that this, you know, this wasn't, this was airborne. And as the, as they cycled through the different, um, uh, modes on the, on the FLIR pod, there was this, this aura around it. Like, uh, the way that I described it when I got home and talked to my wife and my friends was like one of those, uh, I think they're, they're Tesla balls or something, but the sharper image used to sell them when I was a kid. And I always wanted one. Oh, it's yeah. just a little glass ball. You put your hands on it. And the, I've got the one at my desk. <laughs> yeah, I love them. I still want one. In fact, <laughs> I need to finally satisfy that need. But, uh, but it all, it looked like it had that and they'd switch back to the other mode. And I, I, it still doesn't feel, that's the only thing about the videos that's ever felt different to me. Um, from the day that I saw it was I've always remembered it like that. So I always, I, I question that because when I go back and look at the video now, it doesn't look quite as intense. So I, I think the intensity of that memory may have grew over the years. Yeah. Well, you might but, have seen a, a higher resolution one too, because I know uh, what they, I think Fravor confirmed that those are downloaded onto uh, analog tape. Uh, so right. the version we're seeing is from an analog. Uh, so it's, it's absolutely possible. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So then, I guess, uh, so you were probably excited. What was the feeling then on the ship at that point? That's the that's the interesting part. We we were um, there was a group of folks standing behind me, a couple of people that uh, were our usual little group that I ran with, and you know the jokes immediately started. Nothing was uh, you know it was just jokes among the fellows, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Uh, nothing, nothing wrong with it. You know, we all immediately started speculating right to the, you know, the whole alien thing, and we were making jokes about it and everything else. And no one was shaming anyone. It wasn't anything like that. We all knew that that other people we knew throughout the years had seen crazy stuff, but we also we all had security clearances, so we none of us were going to get too thick into anything because hey, man, you never know what it is, mm-hmm. you know, and. So within the chief's mess, the conversation continued, like, wasn't that cool? Holy crap, what do you think that was? You know, we kept speculating about it. But that night at the operations and intelligence briefing, um, I, I, I never had to stand security at the door. I've never had to kick anybody out of there or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's a group of professionals. And I was all that I was told by one of the people in charge was that, um, that, that one of their people would be at the door with a list of all the current security clearances and that anyone who had a lapsed clearance uh, wouldn't be allowed to attend the briefing that night. Huh. I, I found that interesting, but nothing nothing after that fit with that. So you, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so nothing was unusual. Um, when... So that was the only indication of anything unusual or out of the norm, and everything returned back to normal afterwards. Yeah, they, um, the only other thing was that, uh, you know, as we all sat down, there was, there was a general murmur 
you could tell the folks that were looking forward to finding something out. You know, the the murmur amongst the bridge crews or the people who had been working in the combat information center, or you know, some of the officers and chief petty officers, and even some of the younger crew. Some people knew something was going on, and that there was some stuff that was seen or whatever else. And and so there was a lot of talk going on about why are you smiling? What are you laughing about? You know, and you'll everybody was saying you'll see. You know, and then all that happened was the the young. I believe it was a Lieutenant JG, because I think I remember exactly who it was, stood up and started directing the PowerPoint presentation. As he said, next slide, um, a little, almost like a little Mars Attacks type cartoon saucer with a green alien, you know, with a little domed glass on top of it, moves across the screen. And you got to remember, this is 2004, so it was limited special effects on PowerPoint. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, that got a laugh out of the room. There were about 30 seconds of people explaining it to the people that didn't understand why that was funny. And then the captain said, well, we've, you know, we've all had a good laugh. Um, we had some interesting stuff, and let's move on. And that was it. Mm-hmm. That, that, from my perspective, that was it. No one ever told me to be quiet. There was no NBA. You know, we, it was a little incredulous, but we talked about it in the open. Uh-huh. So what did you think was going on? Did you think that, uh, did you just forget about it and move on? Or did you think, well, that the higher ups are handling this and have, and that's it. I, I, um, it's interesting that you say that because I, I actually had a change in worldview because of this whole thing. Um, I had been really open to anything up until that point. I'd been a, I'd been a fan of science fiction. I'd even been a fan of the UFO phenomenon as as entertainment and and as a real possibility as well Uh um i'd seen interesting things before in the sky that didn't fit you know especially years later as a as a military professional much better educated than when i was younger um things that still didn't fit the paradigm of of anything i understood and a lot like the the story tom DeLong tells about the the one book in in the uh, in the library with uh, I think at least mine had the Loch Ness monster and uh, a UFO that almost looked like a Nazi helmet. It had a spike on top. Uh-huh. I think uh, I think even the Sasquatch from the, the more famous was film. this like a series of books on different paranormal subjects. Yeah, I can't remember if it was a series or if it was that one specific book, but oh. I know th- I know that you could if you could go back to that school and find that book. My name's written on that card, <laughs> you know, ten times in a row. Uh-huh. And uh, so I loved all that stuff, and our reaction on board the ship really soured me. Um, I, I did believe I was one of those folks. I think that believed that my position was was important enough that if this was something unusual, that I would have at least been told that. I mean, if it was a unidentified, excuse me, unidentified flying object, as per, you know, every person involved that we did not know what it was and it did fit the profile, I thought that I would have known. I, it's apparent that I didn't. I mean, some other people have testified to, to different aspects of this that say that, um, I mean, the information got back east, obviously, because right. we, we later found out about ATIP. So... It seems like there was some kind of a, an official conduit there. Um, there is there's some hearsay from people, and I even have there a firsthand witness, um, a friend of mine afterward, 
about a week later when I went to go pick up some supplies from my previous command that was at Naval Station North Island. I was borrowing some caution tape or police tape. Um, pulled me aside to tell me that his spouse had heard rumor of weirdness on board the USS Nimitz involving the USS Princeton. And when he asked me if I had anything weird happen, I said, well, yeah. And he said, can you talk about it? It's like, well, nobody told me not to. And so we shared stories. And his wife had said that the that security personnel on board the ship had sequestered the pilots when that returned from that FLIR mission and made them stay in their staterooms until non-military personnel arrived on board the ship. Huh. And that's the now I can't I can't confirm that. Um I I'm not gonna call him out, you know, his name. Uh, if he were to hear this or, or see that on the show, he, he knows exactly who he is. Um, it, so we have conflicting opinions and reports. I think we all know that we've seen that, you know, different people have different beliefs about what other people involved in this may have experienced. Right. Um, but I think that that's something as the years, as, as the years roll in after the, after this, we're going to find out as a common theme. Well, and you know what? You, you explained something here in that, like, uh, Fravor, who is a wing commander who, you know, was one to see the object, he was doubtful that anybody saw this with their own eyes, saw anything with their sure. own eyes. But it would you didn't really share your sighting with many people, so it makes sense that that would not have gotten back to him. I think he assumed that if people had seen something, it would have been a big, big deal, and people oh, sure. would have been talking about it. Oh, I, yeah, and, and um, throughout the whole thing, you know, to find out all these years later, I had no idea there was more than one sortie. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, interesting. But uh, we're going to have to take a break right now, and then we're going to be back and we'll talk some more about this. But uh, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. This is so interesting. We're on with Sean Cahill. We're going to take a short break. Those of you listening on a radio station will hear a, uh, a commercial break. The rest will hear a short musical interlude, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. Uh, we are with Sean Cahill, one of the witnesses of the USS Nimitz encounter in 2004. And you were just telling us, essentially, that you didn't know about all of the sorties to kind of go look for, for this thing. Uh, so you were aware of the FLIR video that was captured. But I guess mm -hmm. that was about it. So were you even aware that David Fravor had uh, gone and kind of chased this thing? You know, um, we... There was an email, I'm trying to think, yeah, I think I can talk about that. Um, there was an email that accompanied the FLIR video. Um, and there were some conversations between our operations officer um, <clears throat> and the USS Nimitz. I'm not sure who she was, I can't remember who she was speaking to on board there, but I would imagine her counterpart. And they were, they were throwing back and forth basic uh, possibilities because these... These things were showing up on radar. There was no doubt that the 
both vessels were aware that these were radar contacts. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they were trying to figure out what they could be because none of them fit the profile of, of conventional aircraft as we know it. So whether they discuss flocks of birds or temperature inversions or, or high pressure and low pressure systems meeting up, um, they talked about a lot of that. And <clears throat> now that a lot of this has come uh, now that this is not uh, under wraps in any way, you know, we're, we're at the end of the series and, and even more fantastic revelations have come about. Um, I, I don't want to present conjecture, but quite a few of us have remember discussion about these things going under the water. Um, there being a transit under the water that produced a rooster tail. Um, there seemed to be a bigger deal about the fact that what was the, the roiling of the water seemed to be a craft of some kind. Um, uh-huh. and, but because there's no, I have nowhere to point to, to say to, to the veracity of that, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and I can't, so I don't know why we think, I don't know why I've heard other people say that in their interviews and things like that. And I'm like, man, that's what I thought too. And I've never said anything because I couldn't, I don't like putting anything out there that I can't point to, you know, I don't like hearsay. Right. Uh, so. Interesting. So I guess, uh, so next, so time goes on, you talk to your buddy uh, who tells you the story about the the wife and, and you mentioned your worldview was changed. And I guess, yeah. uh, was it because you kind of thought, wow, UFOs are real. There are things flying around more advanced uh, than our technology. This is, this is a real thing. Is that what changed your worldview? Strangely enough, it actually, I think I was coming from that worldview and the lack of interest in it screamed top secret program. Oh, I see. Okay. So it was just so hush and it was a real thing that you're like, wow. So it was so effectively ignored that to me, I was like, you know, my, the skipper that we had at the time was, was senior and well-respected and very intelligent, very well-spoken. Not that, not that many of them are not. Uh-huh. Um, but so much to the point that uh, I was watching him. I was paying attention. Once I saw that stuff in the sky, I, I, I had, you know, I had the same, same assumptions and the same, uh, bias that most of us had. You know, I don't like using the big A word. It gets everybody excited. I don't even <laughs> like saying UFO, um, because it, it polarizes people, it gets them right. to immediately think in one direction, and I think this is a this is a spectrum of, of things. But um, I stopped believing. Um, I thought this is this is a DARPA program. Wow! All the all the UFOs that we've ever seen, going back to forty seven, were special access programs of the time, and that you know. I just I stopped buying it. I, I I I checked out of spiritualism completely. I became a materialist and an atheist, um, even a militant atheist at some point. When I say militant, I just mean a, a jerk. You know, <laughs> I, never, I, I, I never raised my fist to anyone wow. or took up arms. Yeah, but it it stole the soul out of me, kind of, because I thought huh. that of everything I'd read about, everything I'd seen, all of the cases in in my childhood, you know, from Betty and Barney Hill to you know, the movie Close Encounters and all of the things that surrounded everything about this. Um, I was like, man, that was so spectacular. How, how did that, 
how was that not on the news when I got home? I, rem- I think I asked my wife, did you see anything awesome on the news? You know, uh, it turns out, obviously, we took it seriously. Right. Now, um, what changed? Because that did change for you. And that changed, I'm guessing, because uh, reading, you know, Danny Silva's interview with you, I know you've uh, you, you've taught meditation and, and changed kind of your perspective. So uh, and when did that change for you? Well, that that changed and that swung back in the other direction quite hard um, years later when uh, my generalized PTSD and uh, some generalized anxiety in life caught up with me. Uh. Um, And I I examined my life and found that I'd become a pretty, pretty hard uh, person. I was I there was a lot of resistance in my life. I was very rigid. Um, it was my way or the highway and I could go on with a hundred other cliche metaphors, but I'd become a real jerk. Um, at least in my mind, my wife says that I paint the picture much darker than it was, but so my starting meditation, um, was what changed everything for me. I actually started meditation as an atheist. Um, it was Sam Harris that, um, opened the door for me to accept that maybe as a, as a, a heartless uh, God and spirit denying man that I <laughs> that there was something to be had from meditating that it was an exercise that a, an intelligent person would do. That's interesting, but, and it's interesting to hear you say that because I know what you mean. I mean, sometimes if we're feeling this way inside, it doesn't mean we're outwardly uh, uh, manifesting it. Because it was similar for me. I, I began meditation for a similar reason, and people would say, "Well, I never recognized all those issues you said you had before, and I right. felt them on the inside." So uh, I'm happy that I wasn't, you know, taking yes. it out on people as much as I felt I was. But I know what you mean. I believe that there is a place where the incident in 2004 with the tic-tac and consciousness and meditation intersect. And I'm very interested in finding that place. And I know I get mixed up in talking about it a lot. And I've actually had some people say, we want to hear more about UAPs. And, um, but for me, the most important part of it was what you just said was that most people aren't aware, even aware of those things about themselves. Mm-hmm. And most people aren't willing to accept that, that they might be the the rainy day in other people's lives. Now, we, we like to think that we're the hero in most people's lives. And so we often paint a beautiful picture of ourselves, even while we're um, even while we're cutting ourselves down. But uh, in the course of, uh, of meditation, um, so, I, I, you, you know, you're a you're a meditator, as you as you told me. Yeah. Um, but not everyone is. And so for a lot of people, just as I needed a, a rational way to shoehorn in the meditation, it, it turns a lot of people off, uh, just hearing about it. And right. so I tiptoe when it, when I come to, to introducing the changes that occurred for me, but, um, suffice to say, I was very fortunate to experience many classical wickets, so to speak, of a meditative practice quite early on. And, um, I had some, some shifts in my perception about how I viewed myself, how I viewed others and the rest of the world that, um, that opened up my heart is the best way to put it. If that's too woo woo for some, I'm sorry, but it's, it truly did. It truly did open up my heart in a way that it never had been before. Mm -hmm. And that, that led to healing self-forgiveness, um, 
you know, that's a process. It's not an overnight thing. Um, but when, when Lou Elizondo appeared, um, the, the synchronicity of him appearing when he did was incredible to me. Um, yes. So, and that's great that yeah. you got there because I, of course I could talk about the, uh, sure. Because you, what you're describing is similar for me with meditation, but uh, and I could talk about that forever too. Sure, but right. yeah, getting to Lou. So how did you meet him? Uh, how did you? How did that come about? Well, the uh, the morning that the New York Times article, uh, the original one, uh, I can't remember everyone. I know I know Brian Bender's name by heart now. Uh, <laughs> so I apologize for not remembering the other the co-authors. Um, That's okay. Leslie Kane, Ralph Blumenthal, yeah. and Helene Cooper. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I figured you'd rescue me there. Um, <laughs> when that, the morning when that was released, um, I was on my deck. I was medita- I was in the middle of a meditation, and my phone rang, and then I got a text, and I pick it up, and it's it's a buddy of mine in the Pacific Northwest, a, a master chief petty officer in the Navy telling me, hey, man, your story is on the front page of the New York Times, that thing that you, <laughs> that you told us all about, and it's exactly like you said it was. You know, and so a few more calls and things came in throughout the day. You know, hey, it turns out, you're, Cahill, you're not crazy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so that, that was neat. But um, I, I immediately, I got the chills. I got the goosebumps. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the same video on my computer, you know, on the the screenshot in the, in the article. And I, I started shaking. Um, I went inside with the computer and I talked to my wife and I sat down and, uh, it's funny, I'm getting a little emotional right now because I'm uh-huh. really letting myself think about it and feel it. But, uh, and was that video that the New York times posted and to the stars posted, you know, like the, the same or next day, is that the same length as the video you had seen, uh, as you, you recall back when it, the incident happened or was there a longer one you all got to see so I, I i don't think i ever saw a longer one okay i don't recall ever ever hearing about a higher definition one the only thing that seems different to me about that is that my recollection of its aura seemed more electrical uh-huh. but um and now the reason i say that is because i happen to remember the title of the file and I know why it was titled that way because I've, I've since, you know, since Lou appeared, I haven't just watched TV for a year. I, I put my investigator hat back on and, uh-huh. and have been doing that full time, sometimes 18 hours or more a day since the day that he wow. called me. So, um, when, let me pick up my train of thought. So meeting Lou, or is that right? Earlier? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I went inside and it was very emotional to me. Um, oh, oh, we were talking about the video for a moment. The, oh, yes. the name of the file was 14 November underscore condensed or something like that. Uh, and so when the longer version was released a, a while back, I compared the one that was released by TTSA, what's commonly called you know the original Tic Tac, the condensed version. I, I compared it and it's obvious you can see where they clipped out the salient parts of the longer video, put them together so you could see the mode changes of the radar, so they were all represented, and then lowered the quality of the video so they could squirt it over the, the band the limited bandwidth that we had. I we see. were two ships we we're two ships at sea. 
Uh-huh. So I, I remember back then I used to, to record um, books for my daughter on video, and I would have to lower them down so much. I mean, I would get videos that were less than 100 kilobytes so I could send them by, by email. Uh-huh. So they were they were they were garbage by that time. But so um, I walked into the house and, and we had a bit of an emotional meeting, my wife and I. And she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I, I'm going to email to the stars. Um, I, I had seen Tom's uh, keynote and I hadn't seen Lou. I just seen I'd seen the announcements and read a couple of articles. And I thought that was really cool. I thought this guy's really he must really believe this if he's going to quit blink and um, and really dedicate himself to this because he caught a lot of crap in the beginning. I mean, oh, he still yeah. does to this day, being an incredibly dedicated and intelligent, <laughs> heartfelt individual. Um, just because he he's made a couple of jokes, but um, I, I sent an email to, to the stars and received back uh, an email. Believe it or not, nine months later, um, I forgot about it. I just I sent them a quick paragraph and said. Uh, my name's Sean Cahill. This was my position. This is what I saw. I was there. And if you need another perspective or witness statement, I'd be, I'd be happy to provide one. And then I, I forgot about it. Um, I went on to pay a little bit of attention to it. Um, I, you know, like I said, when Lou showed up, I started doing some more research for myself. But that's when, when Lou showed up on the scene was when I really personally dove into some more esoteric avenues of consciousness that I wasn't touching before. Huh. Um, I, I, st- I start, I watched what Lou was doing. I watched what was unfolding in general, you know, what was being reported. And so when I say research, I just watched, but what I did instead was start digging into the CIA crest files and, and things like that. And looking at other programs because I decided, you know, I'm a retired guy. I didn't have a lot going on. I was like for fun now, um, let's pretend that this is real. Well, what else is real? Uh-huh. And so that's, that's where I went with that from there. But uh, but I get a call or um, I get an email in uh, July, late July of last year, saying that someone from TT from the TTSA info desk or, or the info email, the one that I had written to, saying that someone would be contacting me shortly, and they wanted to verify my phone number. And then uh, shortly after that, I believe the first call I received was Lou. And uh, I was, I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest, I was starstruck at first. I was like, wow, this guy, this, this real deal guy. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, a lot of people don't understand Lou. They see him on the small screen and they think that this is just a guy that showed up with a couple of videos and they don't understand that this is a guy who, who, who stood between us and the bad guys for his entire adult life uh, in, in every way that he could. And, um, he has a level of integrity and honor that surrounds him that uh, a lot of people I don't think even have the opportunity to encounter. And people can think that's hero worship, but it's the real deal. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet plenty of heroes in my life, and I haven't worshipped any of them. But I'm proud to call Lou Elizondo my friend. So, uh-huh. um, well, and I when- think that's what's important. I, I think that, you know, I get it, of course, because I was, I'm in the middle of us reporting on it and it's a big deal. And of course, yeah. I was catching a lot of heat because everybody, you know, wanted to hate on everybody for so much long, but the yeah. story's incredible and people don't look at, you know, the backgrounds. Of course, all of you with your military backgrounds deserve, uh, you know, our, our respect and our gratitude for your service. But of course, you know, some people, get in there and 
for their whole career. Uh, and so, yeah, I, and, you know, you're, very impressive background that he had in everything that he oh. had done. So, which which requires, or especially for people who get it, like you obviously did, uh, demands mm-hmm. a, a level of credibility uh, that uh, some people don't seem to get. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the and I There's mean, smoke. would you say that you are trained or because of your law enforcement background in the military that you are adept at detecting deception? I, I would actually, I would dare say that that's a, uh, a specialty of mine. I, um, I had the opportunity to attend uh, the U.S. Army's um, investigator school at Fort Leonard Wood and did a lot of uh personal professional development myself in areas of, uh, of haptics and body language and things like that. So I was a trained investigator, a trained interviewer and interrogator and put those skills to use in the, in the battle space. Um, so, I mean, did you detect any, while you were looking into, to the stars and, and Tom DeLonge and, and all of this, did you personally have any red flags? Did you detect any deception there? I have detected zero deception from anyone from um, from To the Stars, and before anyone wonders, I have been watching. Um, right, Lou and I. I've even I've even told Lou um, that that I've been watching him, and I've even told him at specific times that I wanted to ask him certain questions, and I, that I wouldn't watch him because I wanted to ask him questions that I thought that he may actually he may actually have the information, and. I want him, I want Lou to trust me as well, and so I'm not looking to pry secrets out of Lou. Uh-huh. So if I need to ask him something that I think that could have been under the purview of ATIP, I face away from him. I'm I'm not going to be rude to him and 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 act like uh, and, and start watching his his facial movement and everything else. Uh-huh. So I've never detected a single thing when I've been around him that has been disingenuous. Now has does Lou have secrets? Most certainly, right. Now, if people can't understand the difference between a secret that we want kept and a secret that we don't want kept, you know, or something that we want inf- more information of, and I use the, the example of chemical weapons, um, those, are, those are highly secret. The recipe and the means of delivery for those are highly secret. We don't want those to be on the Internet. And so I, there are many aspects of this that I imagine that have to do with national security. We don't need to go down a rabbit hole for an hour to wonder what they are. So beyond that, no, I, I can say definitively, if, if, Lou's never lied to me. Uh-huh. And what was your impression uh, when you did meet him? So I guess the timeline was that he gave you a call. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you meet him soon after that? Because luckily you're in California, so you're not too far from him. Um, I guess yes. what was that call like and what was your initial impression? The call was incredible because um, it was the first time I'd ever talked to about about the event to anyone in in authority whatsoever, any anyone that was outside of my personal bubble. But things moved very quickly after that. Um, my first impression of Lou was that he, he was incredibly well spoken and professional. Um, but more than that was that he was uh, he was action oriented. This was not he wasn't just mm. touching base. Uh, he touched base. He evaluated me on the, on the phone, evaluated my ability to convey myself, and and then immediately things started moving. Um, the the A and E originals team arrived 
I want to say less than a week later. Um, and they arrived and that, that actually coincided with the, with the day that Lou's, um, letter of resignation was leaked. Wow. And so it was, a, it was a very stressful day for him. And uh, when I say leaked, I believe it's someone, uh, someone dredged it, dredged it, uh, up from data mined it. Ah. Um, I think one of the fellows we talked to on Twitter did actually, but, uh, <laughs> um, but so it was a stressful evening for him, but he, you just talk about a guy that flips a switch and he's on. He's doing the thing that he's doing in that moment. He's mindfully locked onto it. And what I got from him and what, what got me to say to him when the cameras were off and when, we, when I asked if the sound was off, I said, hey, man, take me with you. Um, I have, I've, I'm a trained investigator. Uh, if you're going to go find out what this is, I will suit back up for you. I will, I'm, whatever you need me to do. If, if I can help figure this out, let me know. And uh, I get emotional at that because he sized me up, you know. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. Um, uh, having another man size you up like that is uh, it's 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 something. And uh, at the end of it, he said, "I'll give you a call." And we got to the end of the pier, and he introduced me to a couple of folks that are that are now good friends of mine. And um, after that, it's 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 wild. You know, we got the you can see a lot of it on on the show. Um, in episode three, we we made our way down to Ensenada, uh, and we, and we literally picked right up on on him coming back from uh, from seeing Kevin because Kevin had just provided us um, the lat long and everything. So it wasn't just a guess that we were off the coast or something. We we had something we could line up. Right. Interesting. And you got. Uh, a, a bit emotional on the show too. Uh, what were yeah, the emotions? Yeah. What were you remembering? What was going on there? Well, that that portion uh, is interesting. We had I spent every night out on the deck. Uh, I had this, a couple of other people did, uh, not just due to the comfort, but because we weren't going to miss the chance to see anything. We'd interviewed yeah. a lot of people. You know, on the show, you're seeing a montage of a few things because there's a lot of information to fit into a small amount of time. But we were able to connect the phenomena that occurred in 04 with continuing phenomena south of the border in the same area. Uh-huh. And we were able to draw lines between um, description and, and speed and manner of movement and, and, and transmedium travel and, and various aspects of the, of the five observables. And so I'd, I'd been sleeping on deck. We were all super jazzed. And so they woke me up um, uh cameraman woke me up with a cup of coffee which is very kind of actually no excuse me Lou brought me a cup of coffee but I literally just woke up so I literally just woke up and we launched into this uh we were talking about what this meant to me and what it would mean to me to uh you know to get some answers about this and it's hard to convey because I think some people that are that are a little more short-sighted or maybe their hearts are a little bit more closed want to immediately point out post-traumatic stress disorder and anyone that's that's experienced this phenomena and that may be courageous enough to admit that they uh that they suffer from any aspect of mental illness and uh having overcome many of the uh the hurdles between uh, our service members and normal lives these service um it's really important to me to help Mm -hmm. other veterans do that and uh, 
right now I'm able to focus to an extent on other other people, not just veterans, civilians as well, but other veterans who've been involved in the UAP phenomena. Because I specifically am able to to lend them some some validation to that, which they they greatly need. And that if that confidence can help them take steps forward in their life to 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 love themselves, forgive themselves, or whatever it takes for them to get back on the right side of things. Um, I'm willing to do it. So if it means being on a podcast with you and, and blubbering for a couple of minutes while I get the words out, I'm willing to do that too. So, uh, well, you yeah. can't even tell and don't worry about it. Cause I won't judge you. Cause I'm total, I get emotional. People don't know this about me cause I don't get about, I haven't gotten emotional <laughs> on the podcast. I don't think, but, uh, for instance, in Roswell, the, the last panel, I was moderating the panels and I brought up, uh, Stanton Friedman, of course, an important researcher. Mm-hmm. And wow. I had the hardest time, and I didn't realize this wow. would happen. I had it planned for a long time. I had the hardest time getting the words out because I was getting so emotional. But uh, so I get it, and I get what you're talking about because, uh, um, and I think that's what's important. And I love having you share this because um, I think people feel like I've been somehow starstruck i think people who listen to my show get that i I don't really get like that too much but that i don't think that everybody gets why i get so enthusiastic about lou and what he's doing and the to the stars guys um which is kind of weird in a way because these guys are doing what we all have wanted to happen for so long Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're they're successful at it. Lou, uh, all of these guys are so extremely, their their credentials are incredible. They're the perfect guys to be doing this. They're making great Absolutely. strides. And Lou is, and I got to meter myself because uh, Lou's a great guy, you know, bringing you coffee or, or you get that in the show when he's talking to you about this stuff. He cares. Oh, Absolutely. He really <laughs> it, cares about people. Lou doesn't ever have to talk to me again. He, had, he There's no obligation to me whatsoever. And, and so he's, he's proven to me on numerous occasions that he is the person. If, if, you're, if you're not, if you don't have all of these guards up between you and the possibility that this might be it, that we might really finally be sharing real information. I mean, I think people that have followed the phenomenon at all or, or interested in UFOs or esoterica or anything, a lot of us are immediately examined this ourselves, you know, checked in with our own, you know, uh, conscience and, and, and then decided to watch, you know, I didn't make, I didn't make my mind up immediately. I still don't know what the phenomenon represents. I don't know who's driving it. I'm sure there are secrets that are kept, but I know that the guy that I'm talking to and working with is the most genuine person who is so interested in having this conversation be between all of us, not just behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and I, I think, I, go, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I try very, very hard with my engagement on social media, which at the moment is only on Twitter and a very little, a limited amount on Instagram, because um, it's really hard to keep up with. But I try to stay positive. I don't, um, if yeah. there are trolls or people that are too far outside of um, something that I'm willing to address publicly, to be honest, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stay positive because that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk the talk. And so, 
um, there have been some folks that have been incredibly negative. Right. And they have they have made some really silly arguments, their personal waterloos, where they are they just seem like they're willing to go down with this for 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 no ethical, moral, or even personal payback. I don't know what they think is on the other side. There's no Goliath here to be this is the it's not Goliath. This isn't this is not the war you're looking for. You know? And a lot of these folks were dedicated for years to getting to the truth, and now they finally have a shot at understanding it. And it's it's like throwing out your bag of chips because you got one of the ones that had the brown yucky skin on it, <laughs> right. you know. So you throw the whole meal out, and it's it's just move that one to the side, and let's focus over here for the moment, <laughs> you know. Right, and the way I feel, and I I'm I would imagine that you feel similarly, is that, and I know as much as maybe people don't want to believe this and you kind of express this, but I would love to hear your, your opinion on this too, is I would love for everybody to come along on this trip. Let's work together to get there. And it's frustrating when, with some of these negative uh, perspectives like you've shared, because you're like, Hey, get over it. You know, look at the data for what Mm -hmm. it is and let's do all of this together. But not only, I know that Lou feels this way too. I mean, he Mm -hmm. really cares about those people who even are bashing him because he's like, guys, you're just getting it wrong. I want to answer your questions. You know, how do we get past this? How do we, how do I share to you uh, my heart and what I'm trying to do here and some people just are not open to it. And and you just got to move on. And, and people don't realize he doesn't want to move on. I've seen him bend over backwards to try to get, you know, appease people. And uh, eventually, even he's done way more than I would. Uh, even when I've said, just move on. He's like, well, I still want to try to, 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 you know, help these people understand. And I mean, that's the, my perspective on, on Lou and, and what he's attempting to do. I mean, do you agree with that? What are your thoughts? I, I agree completely with, with you. And I know I'm, you know, I, both of us are prefacing all of this with, I know what people are going to say and et cetera. <laughs> but, you know, I wish I could, I wish some of these folks were more amicable to open communication. Um. I wish they knew who we knew and saw what we saw and would lower their guard for just a moment because there's nobody that wants to get all of this out there more than Lou. He, he really did, really did resign in protest. He really did put his, his future at risk to do this. Everybody, the, the perception that people have of you once you're, once you're flashed up on television changes immediately across yeah. the board. I can tell you that for sure. And the way that people react to you, even the people who are close to you, let alone people who've never met you, they assign attributes to you that didn't even exist in your life a week before. But based on the on right. their their personal validation that you must know what you're talking about because they put you on the TV. <laughs> and that takes that takes a great care to curate. I mean, and, and Lou Elizondo can't just run around and break his NDA. The, the folks that are out there with the hashtag break your NDA. Or oh, like, I know. These, these government folks need to tell the truth. And I'm like, what yeah. are you risking? What are you risking for your entertainment? Exactly. <laughs> or, or to get it. And, and I feel like, and I've, I've told Lou, don't. don't do, not do not break no, your he, NDA. He, he and he I get so I paranoid. I right. I keep saying, no, don't, don't do anything that's going to get you in integrity. trouble. Lose integrity is the thing that has guided this from the beginning, and that's why this is such an amazing event 
that gathers more people and more momentum because, it, and let me back up, it's not an event. This is reality. And, and it's a shared reality. And there's a lot to it. And we all keep trying to draw circles around it and saying, okay, well, it's this, it's that, it must be these guys, or it's from here. Or, it's a lot of stuff. We're not all always talking about the same thing. But if we're talking about A-Tip and Luis Elizondo and the events of 2004, I can tell you they were legitimate. <laughs> and the, you know, the program, the director, etc. This is incredible. It's time to focus together instead of looking for, you know, well, and the way I feel with, with what, you know, uh, for those of us who are, you know, looking at the information and, and you know, digesting it, or like yourself who are involved with even trying to get more, uh, we're reaping the benefits because it's it's a wonderful to be able to get all this information out and to, to see all this information getting out. And fortunately, we don't have those hangups. And it's a bummer that we have to leave some of our friends in the dust and move forward while they're stuck, you know, with their own issues. But uh, it's a privilege for those of us, I think, to move forward. And, uh, you know, your contribution, it's huge. It's so helpful to hear you know, from someone we've never talked together. We're not like co-conspirators right. in anything, even though we may be accused <laughs> of that. But uh, it's we really great for together, even on Twitter. And I think it was for the same reasons. It was like we, I think we knew we were going to talk at some point and didn't want to muddy the waters. <laughs> right, right. I didn't want to bug you, and I figured that too. But uh, it's it's, and I, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to catch up sure. with you. But and, and I'm Thank excited you. if you could tell because it's great to be able to hear that you independently have had. A similar experience uh, as far as dealing with To The Stars and similar observations uh, as far as dealing with Lou and working with Lou. And uh, so it, it's refreshing and it's wonderful to hear, to be able to get to share this with people um, and the audience. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I've never met a group of people more dedicated to anything in my life, and I served 20 years in the military. <laughs> so I think I think that says a lot. When you when you show up at, at TTSA and when you meet the folks there, and um, it doesn't matter who you are meeting, you're meeting a professional. And I, I hope people get a chance to understand that and see that themselves going forward. That this is something that um, I, I do not give blanket trust to anyone, and I I realize. The, the gentleman that, that is my friend now, I understand what he did for a living for a great deal of his of his of his time. I also know he's 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 an amazing man that deserves your ear, if nothing else, and an open heart. And I guess uh, we're running out of time, so really I should be wrapping this up. But uh, the the other person that I would like to get your perspective on, uh, and you touched on this a little bit, is Tom DeLong. Have you had much interaction, and and what has that been like? I've had the opportunity to meet uh, to meet Tom at TTSA, and I had an opportunity to attend an event uh, that he hosted. And he is an incredibly intelligent, um, thoughtful, <laughs> kind, gentle, and humorous man. Um, even if, even if you set aside how amazingly dedicated he is to this process. And how willing he is to, pardon my language, but take shit from the public for this. <laughs> and, and from people who are not as open-minded and, ha um, 
and are closed off to possibilities that are so sure at, in their little environment that they're experts on something that other people have dedicated their, their entire lives to almost. Um, if not for Tom DeLong, I don't know if we'd all be here. I usually put things on Lou's shoulders. Um, Lou and I have, have a bond through the military and we spend more time together. But, uh, but Tom DeLong is, is the captain of this ship. There, there's no doubt about that, and and he's the he is the person that steered this thing on course in the beginning, uh, when there were no other hands on deck. You know, um, of course there have been people behind the scenes that have helped that have helped Tom out, and I think those people are, are some incredible heroes, and I hope all the stories get to be told someday. But but Tom stood up and did this, and Tom put his livelihood on the line, and you know, and and continues to do so. Right. Um, um, again, people say that's hero worship. So if you hang out with awesome people who 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 don't who aren't full of it, who aren't out for ego, who are really out to really help all of the people that they can, who at every turn are saying, "Do you have something to offer? Get on board. Do you have something to offer? Get on board." I, how can you how can you not slow down for a minute and say, "Maybe I got this wrong." Right. So. Yep. Again, it's great to hear that because I've been, you know, tooting that horn and uh, especially at first when I was uh, trying to share the great things Tom was doing, people were just so negative. And there's still, of course, a lot of people who are, but I'm not afraid to keep writing the articles about Tom's important role, how he's probably the most important figure. He may not have had a career in intelligence or worked at the Pentagon or in Washington, D.C., but like you said, he's the guy who made this happen. Well, I would hazard that he may not have done those things then, but he's doing them now. <laughs> he certainly is. <laughs> right, exactly. So, I, uh, I, yeah. uh-huh. oh, I was just you know, I, I'm I'm, I'm in pump up the fellas mode because right, um, exactly. Uh, and I don't I don't I don't want to I don't want to be seen that way. So. But I get you. But you know, your your people are going to say, "Oh, they're just a couple of fanboys uh, fanning out there at the end." But uh, you know what's what's interesting is you said it. When you meet people who are worthy of it, of course you're going to go there, especially when they're doing such important things. And and it's great to see people doing it because even if they were jerk offs, I'd be still happy about what they're doing. But uh, what's great is, oh, yeah. is they're also cool <laughs> dudes. So. I'm going to fan out uh, on these guys and I'm going to be, you know, and getting to meet you. I knew you'd be super cool, dude. And you uh, have not disappointed. <laughs> you are so awesome. Thank you. You're so, very gracious. Uh, I'll add you to the list of, of people I'm going to fan out on. Uh, what do we talk about <laughs> all this? But uh, thank you so much for joining us. And I guess what's coming up for you? Are you going to keep then uh, trying to help out and be involved with some of this uh, research? Well, now that, yes, I am. Um, one thing that I've said from the very beginning uh, was that I'll stick around as long as I'm valuable and, and wanted. And um, there's there's enough folks that shout at the top of their lungs uh, without anyone requesting it. Um, so if I'll be over here. I'll be a quiet, rational <laughs> voice. But, but there's definitely more to come. Um, we're finishing up uh, the first part of a web series. Um, the medic for our for our Guadalupe adventure and I became pretty good friends and um, we experienced some interesting stuff down there that you and I will have to talk about in the future. Cool. Um, but so there's some more podcasts to come um, and there's definitely some more things to come probably in the entertainment realm. Uh, but that will be always factual because I don't, I'm not an actor, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's really cool to hear uh, and, and that more will be going on. And, and I feel like, you know, we only got halfway through the stuff I wanted to talk about. So I'd love to have you on again soon. Uh, I, also, you brought up some things, especially related to PTSD, that I think are really important that I'd love to talk about. So hopefully uh, we can have you on uh, fairly soon again. I would love to, Alejandro. You've got my phone number. Um, it's really great to talk to you. Uh, you're so easy to communicate with, so I would love to do this again anytime. Great. Good to hear, and and thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, uh, this was a lot of fun, and thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show with us. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Alejandro. Thank you so much to Sean Cahill for joining us. What a great dude. He was great on Unidentified, and he was so much to talk fun to talk to here. Uh, I didn't want to stop talking to him, as you could probably tell. So hopefully we will have him back soon to talk some more. I, I have a lot more questions and things to talk to him about, especially, you know, I think that's a really interesting topic he brought up is the PTSD. And then, uh, you know, how that may relate to military veterans who have had a UFO experience. And it sounds like he's spoken to people like that. So we'll get him back on the show to talk about that because that's a fascinating topic that I'd love to talk about. So, And maybe it will help some of you listeners who are in that boat. Uh, so that would be a, another great reason to, to do that show. So we'll have him back on. Of course, if you haven't watched it yet, watch Unidentified. And then for those of you who are in another country who might not have been able to see the show yet, uh, that's what's great. Is that, That's one thing I love about bringing these people on is at least you get some insight into what was on the show. And I guess some updates, you know, for those of you, uh, this might be a spoiler for some of you who haven't seen the last episode, but a couple notes. Um, there was an Italian case, not much to say there. I don't think it was, it was that great of a case uh, personally, so you can read about it online. However, what was interesting is that there's a group of insiders, essentially. Some of them are retired government. Uh, some of them are UFO researchers like uh, Roberto Pinotti, who is someone I know fairly well, I've known him over the years. They have created kind of a To The Stars organization where they look for UFOs and they have signed up with To The Stars to kind of be partners uh, in looking uh, at answers for this question. I think that's really important that there's this international partner in a former, uh, you know, government and military people in the Italian government that uh, To The Stars can work with. That's important. The other important thing was two pieces of information that Lou shared on the show, Elizondo, uh, which was he met with people that supposedly, I guess, are working with uh, the new form of ATIP. ATIP, of course, was the Pentagon UFO Research Program, which Lou has said has not ended, despite what the uh, DOD has said, that these people are insiders who help run it. And essentially, they told him that uh, a couple things that I guess the responsibilities for running uh, the new UFO program are uh, across a couple agencies, not just one anymore. And that there are still insiders who are not happy with Lou releasing, you know, information. And we do know this anecdotally. I think Bender and I talked about a little bit about this last week that uh, 
you know, not everybody was happy that he came out and shared information. He shared only a little bit because that's all he could share without breaking any of his oaths, uh, without or without sharing classified information, but also without upsetting his colleagues too much. Because like he said, he doesn't want to be the one to share information. His colleagues don't want to be shared. He wants to grease the wheels and get his colleagues to release that information on their own and supposedly they're making some some uh some progress there so we'll have to see will there be a season two i don't know from what i hear it's looking like it and if there is what are they going to cover hopefully they have some new interesting information to cover that is some of their own research because i think that's where they really shine and remember we heard nothing on this season about these alleged anomalous materials that they're investigating. So maybe we'll hear more about that. I can tell you something, though. Here's one of the reasons you're going to want to be at the UFO Congress. And I think that uh, you'll regret it if you don't, because, of course, we're going to have George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell. They're getting new information. And George Knapp has told me he's going to be sharing new information. He's got a load of it. That he's going to be sharing over these next few weeks and months. So that's something to look at. And he'll be at the conference to talk about this new information. You'll be able to meet him and talk to him one-on-one. Uh, and, and we'll definitely have some Q&A from the audience. So that's really important. Uh, we're going to have a number of really important people that are going to be there talking about all of this uh, that is going on. Um, so I think, you know, that's the big deal is that you'll be able to get the latest and greatest and keep up to speed on all of what's going on. We've got alien uh, highway star Chuck Zukowski to be able to do behind the scenes. But here's the other person is James Fox. So James Fox is working on this documentary and he has been for uh, months now. In fact, years, I think, this project started. And he has got some really, really good material. And I think that uh, not just material as far as good video and interviews, but like Lee Spiegel shared with us on this podcast, they allegedly are going to be covering some discoveries uh, uh, regarding some materials, some new anonymous, potentially anonymous UFO material, essentially. So James is going to be giving us a lot of behind the scenes and giving us a heads up uh, on his documentary and sharing some information that no one's ever heard before. And he's going to be doing this at the UFO Congress. So I think that we're going to be able to make a lot of news get a lot of new, credible information. It's going to be really important. And to be there with all of these people would be great. Bender says he's going to be there. I think we're hopefully going to get him part of a panel. Uh, Sean Cahill, maybe we'll be able to try to get him there or something. But uh, we still have a couple of things to announce in the next week. But uh, it's going to be really exciting. And uh, speaking of some really exciting, cool stuff, we're going to be at Comic-Con In a few days. And I'm going to be there covering some news, you know, hopefully uh, getting some new information. I'll definitely be getting some pictures and uh, some new information about second season of Project Blue Book. Uh, Hopefully some more information about other things going on. But we're having a Den of Geek party. And here's where you really want to be a patron patron of mine. Because if you're a patron... And you want to go to the Den of Geek Party, it's Thursday night in San Diego at Comic-Con. 
then go on to Patreon and you'll see a locked, only patrons can see it, where it'll give you details on how to get invited to that party. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't share who all the guests are going to be, and that should indicate to you already uh, that if we can't share who's going to be there, it means there's going to be some pretty cool, important people there. And there will be. And trust me, you will not be disappointed if you do want to go to the party and uh, and you're a patron and you go ask and I, I get you in there. So, yeah, really, really cool stuff. So it's going to be a fun week at Comic-Con yet again. And uh, if you're a Patreon patron, and remember, it, you can be a patron as, as low as a dollar a month. And if you haven't done it, please do, because it does really help me uh, keep the podcast going and keep what I'm doing going. Because to be honest, and and I'm not even kidding or fooling you guys. And I think you would, I, you know, I wouldn't, I would tell you if I was messing with your, your brain here. But, uh, you know, every day is kind of a question of how much longer I'm going to be able to keep doing this or if, or at least at to what degree. I doubt I'm ever going to be able to stop doing something in this field. But, uh, you know, as far as how much time I can devote to it is always in flux so uh the if i can you know the more i can make it profitable the more it justifies my time and i can do that without having to do something else so that's why i bring that up and this is just life some people get upset oh everybody wants money they're always asking for money we have so much free content this show this is a 407th episode of this show all of which you can listen to for free, let alone the hundreds, if not thousands of articles that we have up at openminds.tv and I have up at my um, uh, my own blog, alejandrotrojas.com. So nobody here can complain about the amount of free content we give you all. So if we ever, especially the UFO Congress has to charge for you know you to watch left lectures, tough cookies, dude. I mean, otherwise this wouldn't happen without money. That's the real world. Deal with it, uh, is what I have to say to those people complaining about wanting everything for free. If your job gave everything away from free, you wouldn't have a job and you wouldn't be able to do what you do. That's just the the facts of, of the world. And I argue the more money spent in the UFO industry means, and I don't agree with charlatans, you all know that, I, I, I am, of course, very against that, but the when there is more attention put towards a field and there are more corporations and companies spending money towards a, an effort, it means that there are more and more people that want that and that are interested. And that's a positive thing if there are more and more people into this topic, then we get more closer to, you know, serious uh, institutions taking on the effort and doing some research. And that's where we want to be. And that's where we're headed. And we're headed there more quickly than ever. And we owe a lot of that to to the stars and all of the people involved with it. And like the point that I keep trying to make over and over again is that this is a host of people to the stars. Uh, many of whom who have worked on this effort for decades and they're seeing now more than ever the fruits of their efforts and and you know what they wanted to happen 
come true. And so it's an exciting time. And uh, it's an exciting time to be watching all of this. And I love sharing it with all of you. And uh, hopefully, you know, I'll always be sharing stuff with you all at some capacity. Uh, and, And of course... Hopefully, I'll be able to do more than less as time goes on. But uh, anyway, thank you all so, so much, those of you who do contribute. And, you know, even if you don't contribute, and I do not, you know, judge whatsoever whether you can or not. Uh, everybody's got different financial situations. And certainly, if you're taking care of a family or or something else, that is much more of a priority than giving some goofy UFO guy, you know, even a buck a month. So don't even worry about it. Um I want to thank those of you who listen, just listening and patronizing, and especially if you come and tell me about that, uh, like some of you do, like at Roswell and some of these other places, it really means a lot. And thank you all so much for listening every week. Uh, I also, of course, as usual, want to thank Caleb Hanks with the excellent open and close music, Systematics for the bumper music. Uh, of course, I want to thank, you know, Karen with UFO Congress. Go to ufocongress.com and register. You're not going to want to miss this conference, ufocongress.com. Uh, I, I also, of course, want to thank Martin Willis, who helps me at the beginning of the show, and uh, you for listening once again. we got a great show next week, uh, so stay tuned. A lot of cool stuff coming up. Thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, Adios, muchachos.